Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. This is Mike Edison, host of Art Senses of Seizures. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, please visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. to another week of the main course without Patrick Martins. Uh, sitting in for Patrick t- uh, today is my co-host, Philip Gilmore. Good morning. I'm, of course, Alexis McLaughlin. And in studio, we have Chef Warren Baird and Chef Katie O'Donnell. Um, they are nice. from uh, Chapter One, a restaurant in West Village. And uh, formerly of ESCA, uh, Chef Warren was the sous chef mm-hmm. uh, for a while and... Katie was the chef de cuisine for about eight years. Well, I didn't start out as chef de cuisine, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the time I left, I was the chef de cuisine. I was there for almost eight years. Great. And then uh, now you're both with Chapter One and working on a heritage series. So we're going to talk about that today a little bit more. Cool. Um, what, is, what is the concept of the heritage series, first off? Well, uh I uh, originally it started when we said let's do some sort of a Sunday supper, and you know you look around and everybody's doing meatloaf and fried chicken and you know it, it 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 was something that we wanted to do to generate some business on Sunday nights, and then uh, about the same time I was also sort of trying to figure out uh, the direction of the food and you know uh, I've done I did Italian under Katie and. Did some Spanish and and French. You know, we all started French back in the day, and so uh, simultaneously, this idea uh, surfaced to take the Sunday supper and start focusing on the origins of American food a little bit. Um, because as a chef, uh, what I'm trying to do, you know, I can fake Italian, I can fake French, I can fake this, but I've, you know, I've never really, you know, it would be sort of a uh, to be due to American food would be more authentic. So. That's where it started with Sunday suppers. I really like the idea of the the um, heritage series, and you know, because Chapter One itself is described as, as contemporary American tavern, and then you're doing dinners once a month and picking a theme like with a historical uh, context, and really, it's, it seems like you guys are doing a lot of research and really fleshing out this kind of larger concept for it's like going a dinner. Back to school sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Man, so the things that I learned that I forgot about about our own history—it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the upcoming dinner is going to be April twelfth. Uh, that's going to be Thomas Jefferson themed, which is interesting to think about as a food concept. Yeah. Well, his birthday is the following day, so um, I think actually Katie's idea was like, you know, he's done some stuff, um, and uh, we. The more we look, everything's surrounding a really good story. So, you know, we've done uh, 19th century New Orleans, and we've done a, a 1620s Pilgrim dinner um, that was uh, around the, the time that's time appropriate too. So that was in November. 
Um, and then the, the New Orleans dinner was right before uh, you know, the start of uh, Mardi Gras and all that. So, so this one made sense too. And then uh, it, the more we dug, the more we found there's so much there. So we'll never do something where it's a quick little you know blurb and then you know that's it. There's there's got to be a really neat story, otherwise it's not going to sell. I mean everything's got to sell, right? So uh, the more we dug, the more we realized how much he had you know really contributed to to uh, the, the viniculture of the the country and and uh, uh, as a, a horticulturalist he he was he was uh, groundbreaking and the evidence is still there at uh, Monticello his his, uh, his original home. So yeah, there's a story there and. Um, he built fish ponds to, to feed his uh, slaves and his own family. And, uh, you know, we don't, we don't also, we don't uh, brush over things. We, we, we're very honest about the, the racial backgrounds of things and the, the cultural origins of things and the immigrant things. So, you know, when, when uh, the 1620s Pilgrim Dinner was interesting because I had to say Indian all the time, and you're supposed to say Native American, but it's like, you know, I'm telling you a story about back then. So we, we use the word Indian, and we also... At the end of these dinners, we always do a toast, and so we always toast to, to the, the cultural component of the diversity of, of the, the dinners. It's really, they're always a great story. They're always a good story. <laughs> so. um, I, uh, I, I, um, on the way over here this morning, I was thinking about this story about Thomas Jefferson. It was kind of like a wine legend, but at the time, it was probably, um, I would say, like mid-90s. But at the time, it was the most expensive bottle of wine ever sold, and it was for a charity auction. And so the famous story is the guy that bought it bought it for like $400,000. But then the sommelier that was bringing he, the guy decided to serve it at the dinner. And it was actually, it was like $400,000. So the famous story was the sommelier on the way over tripped and broke the bottle. And the neck came off. But it was actually like a... I think like 1780 bottle of uh, Chateau Margaux. Yeah, previously but, owned by Thomas. Yeah, because because he actually I guess with all of his wines he would like take like some sort of like lacquer or something and put like TJ on it. So I always thought that was a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a good story. I mean, it, uh, he was very thorough, so I wouldn't be surprised about uh, marking every single bottle. Yeah, and he's also you know I, you know uh, the whole wine culture that he brought over here. I guess was pretty important. Did he grow his own grapes? Do you know? He did. He uh, he just started. You know, we did uh, a ton of research on this, and and he had just gotten into trying to. He was a horticulturist too, so he wasn't looking for one monoculture where he could, you know, what what grew the best and then make money on it. He wanted to explore every single variety of every every tomato, every pea, every grape, and everything, and then just study how it grew and and how and what uh, a specific uh, environment it wanted to to uh, proliferate. So. He had he never had rows and rows and rows of, of something. He had a row of all the different peas and then a row of all the different uh, uh, grapes and whatnot. So, and um, olives too. He brought over like how many hundreds of olives? Uh, yeah, trees? he brought uh, fifty thousand uh, olive trees over and then gave them to friends and asked them to plant them and, and then get back to them on how they grew and how they how they uh, in the in the attempt to try and find where they would grow the best. Um, and uh, that specific project never never connected to uh, the olive oil culture per se, but um, it did translate through generations to people that wanted to uh, to grow olive oil, uh, olives and olive oil in this country. So. Where, where was all this taking place, by the way? Well, in Virginia, Virginia you know, in, Virginia, in Monticello. Yeah, Monticello um, yeah. But uh, you know, he there are two there are two sides to Thomas Jefferson. There's the president and the uh, minister of France. And his political roles, and then there's this just this guy who was a, a farmer at, at heart, and who just loved to grow things, and that was Monticello. So, 
the dinner is going to uh, focus on both facets of, of, of TJ. We call it the TJ, TJ. dinner. <laughs> I mean, sure. You guys are so familiar with him now. <laughs> it's just, like, how yeah, could you not? We're like, yeah, we're like my pals. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll focus on the, 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 the consummate host that he was at the president's house that was newly fabricated on the Potomac River. Because, I mean, remember, this is just, this is during, before, during, after the American Revolution. So there was a lot going on. Um, but uh, he, uh, he was a consummate host at the, uh, the president's house, uh, spent a lot of his, uh, his own uh, salary on hosting dinners and importing wines and, and uh, showing, showing people a good time. Do you think he was a decadent man? Uh, personally, no. No. When he hosted at the president's house, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brought over the finest wines uh, from France and Italy that he could find. Um, and, you know, these are – it's not like uh, – Fresh Direct, where they're showing up the next day. He places an order, and, and uh, six to eight weeks later, it shows up. You know, but um, but anyway. So there, there was that side where it was very high end and it was very uh, uh, extravagant. But then at Monticello, it was actually quite simple. He was a very heavy on vegetables, um, light on protein. He didn't eat a whole lot of protein, but he did like his game. Uh, he liked you know a good cut of beef, and he loved lamb and, and game hen. So. I was telling Katie also, too, I was thinking about, uh, I've, I've been thinking about doing this forever, too, and it's funny that you're doing this Thomas Jefferson, but I always thought about doing a a, um, a, a meal uh, honoring Benjamin Franklin, oddly enough, because supposedly he was a vegetarian for a good portion of his life. So I thought it was, uh, I guess when he was 16, he decided that killing animals was wrong, and then also, too, that if you ate vegetarian diet, that you could actually save money, so he would he would eat vegetables to save money to buy books. Oh, so I yeah. always thought it'd be kind of cool to do like a vegan inspired like what what if you know I guess he I guess it's kind of you know because like he, um, you know vegans say that Benjamin Franklin and Leonardo, you know Leonardo da Vinci and all these people they were not vegan but but uh, but I always thought it'd be interesting to like uh, see you know what what kind of vegan dish <laughs> dishes you could come up with using the ingredients that Benjamin Franklin had. <laughs> well, that's very much the premise behind a lot of these dinners. You know what what. what what can we come up with that's approachable and saleable and interesting that that re- reflects on these stories? They don't have to be, you know, truly authentic. When I did the the, the when we did the pilgrim dinner, it, you know, it was if I had done cornbread in the way that they ate cornbread, it's completely inedible <laughs> by <laughs> by even 18th century standards. So I, I couldn't just give you a brick of of dry sawdust. I had to at least make it palatable. So. Interpreting that is, is 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 a lot of the fun, you know. Yeah. Have you had any Have you had any ideas for a heritage series that just didn't pan out? Because yeah, as a matter of fact, we did, and we we actually worked on it. But uh, there was this neat story about uh, Chipino in, in San Francisco in the twenties, nineteen twenties, where this group of uh, uh, Italian fishermen migrated, immigrated from uh, from uh, Genoa in particular, and uh, and then they sort of took over the the fishing industries uh, in the San Francisco Bay started making fish stew on the boats and, and um, with whatever the bycatch was from the day and some leftover shells and mussels or clams or whatever and some always Dungeness crab. And so the story of Chipino surfaced, and actually it was, it was Katie's idea, and we, we looked into it, and, and I, I just told you pretty much the entire story. So, you know, and the menu. And the menu. There's the menu. A hunk of sourdough. Yeah. Have a nice day. Yeah. So once the, the Heritage Dinners became large presentations and, and several courses and stuff, there wasn't enough uh, for that story right. to fill out an entire Heritage Dinner. So I can't believe how, how well researched all these um, ideas and concepts seem to be. I, I got to imagine that you're going out to a bar in the middle of uh, researching TJ and just like all you can talk about with your friends is... 
Yeah. Thomas Jefferson in history and yeah. Scuppernaut Grapes. My, yeah, Scuppernaut Grapes. Yeah. yeah. My wife will tell you that I get a little a little detached for for a little while while we're, we're trying to sort of nail down the story and nail down the menu. <laughs> but uh, it's fun. And it's, all the and TJ books are all piled up. At yeah, yeah. There's, there's always a pile of books. I mean, there were there was... The Pilgrim Dinner was interesting because there's there's not a lot of of literature obviously generated from the 1620s that that de- you know it's not very well detailed it's it's a you know grandfather grandson of somebody's who was uh, you know, anyway so the the connections are really loose and it was tough to dig but uh, since then there there's just volumes of books on on all these topics so you know actually not spending three hundred dollars on on new books is <laughs> is the challenge. I, I was hoping when you came in that you were actually like like trying to get into character and explore the mind of Thomas Jefferson and come like dressed head to toe as Thomas Jefferson with the powdered yeah. wig. Yeah. Well, we did get dressed up no for the Prohibition wigs. dinner. We did, yeah. And the, and the, the Prohibition dinner was, was uh, also well documented, but we actually converted uh, Chapter 1 into a speakeasy and blacked out the windows and you know had a three-piece uh, band uh, on the DL. Wow. Um, but that didn't come from me. I, I, I heard people were dancing. I know. I know. <laughs> Shh, don't tell All right. Well, we're going to uh, jump to break, and then we'll be back with uh, Professor Chef's um, Warren and Katie. <laughs> Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain, how they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio is like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I tune in, I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. All right, we're back. Um, we got Chef Warren Baird and Chef Katie o- O'Donnell in the studio from Chapter One talking about their Heritage Series uh, dinner and want to talk a little bit more with Katie about, uh, you know, choosing choosing drinks and, you know, for the night and, and wine and cocktails and more about the process of how, how that's decided. Uh, um, the first dinner I wasn't even on board for, so I missed that one, but uh, the... The the one in November we did cider, so that was kind of simple. Sometimes the time period dictates pretty strongly what the beverage is going to be. Um, for the Prohibition dinner, I came up with a cocktail menu of, of Prohibition-era cocktails, but then the cocktail that we served complimentary, we served rum punch in coffee cups to everybody because that was kind of what yeah. they did at the time. So, so that was kind of cool. And um, so for Thomas Jefferson, it's been really interesting because sourcing the wines has become quite challenging. At first, I wanted to see if I could find a winery that he actually 
procured wine from. And like, I heard the 1780 Margot we mentioned earlier was excellent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> we find one, we'll call you. Yeah. We, we can't really afford Chateau Neuf de Pop, <laughs> but we can dream about it. But we did get some Scuppernong, which we were pretty excited about. What, um, what is it? I, I read about that. What is it exactly? It's a muscadine wine. So it's, it's actually grown um, uh, along the coast of the Carolinas in Virginia. Oh, wow. It's a sweet dessert wine, essentially. Um, Not um, really on the par of like Sauterne, per se. N- but, no. But... Um, but it gets the job done. Well, mm-hmm. now with the, the muscadine grapes, did, is that something that maybe Thomas Jefferson brought over or no? No, they were Are all they indigenous. They were, yeah, yeah, they, they were indigenous. here. He oh. actually uh, did. There was a letter that he wrote. I think it was that he was saying like that he was amazed that there was actually this this wine being produced in you know in America and Virginia had the first uh, winery in America. Actually, it wasn't California. Wow. Mm. So you, I mean, you're a chef. You're you're doing you're doing general you're the general manager at right. Chapter One, but your background is a chef. Right. I, I I mean, uh, did you have all the wine knowledge and experience before coming in into this? Because you seem very knowledgeable about you know drinks and, and pairing with with uh, mm-hmm. Chef Warren's. Well, when food. I was at Esca, um, I used to train on the floor with the Somme because I wanted to learn more about Italian wine, and even just as you know, being the chef de cuisine, you know, you're responsible for running the restaurant when, when the owners and the chef, you know, executive chef's not there. So the best way to figure out how to do that is to spend time in front of the house. Um, so that's when I really started to geek out on wine. And um, by nature, I love beer. So the craft beer, you know, scene has, blowing up has been uh, a lot of fun. No and when I here. Yeah. <laughs> and when, but when I came on board to Chapter One, you know, the, the, there was no beverage program. It was just like... This is a restaurant that has a bar, and the bar has beer and cocktails that don't reflect the food and, or Warren's vision in any way. So I, the first thing I did was get rid of all the imported beers and put all American craft beers on tab, um, simplify the cocktail menu. Uh, we try to make some of our own infusions and stuff, but you know, so that it's seasonal and local, and we're always collaborating on things. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's actually it's very helpful for me to have somebody like Katie as the GM because she knows where I'm coming from mm-hmm. food wise. So, uh, and then, so our collaborations are, are, I get more from a GM than I've ever even imagined, uh, as, and support for me on my day off and stuff like that. Things that you wouldn't think about the intangibles. So, uh, it's really been a blessing to have her on board. Sometimes, like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, rhubarb, rhubarb, can we get rhubarb yet? And he was like, all right, all right, I'll look in. I was like, come on, it's spring. Let's yeah, do yeah. this. Uh, I'm in the middle of uh, doing a sandwich shop out in Bushwick, but uh, we're, we're, you know, we're taking the beer pretty seriously. But I, I saw that you guys are using the, um, uh, what should we call it? The, uh, Bell's Too Hearted? Yeah, the, bill, the Bell's Too Hearted. I love that stuff so much. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Well, we have Hop Slam on right now. Oh, wow. Oh, I love Hop Slam. Love that beer. Yeah. And when we bought it, we, bought it and we actually had it, it we had too many other beers in the lineup because we were doing the craft beer week so we had to wait but then I was gone for a couple of days a week or two ago and I was like if this kicks this whatever I forget what we had on the line uh, right. and I was like don't put the hop slam on until I get back he was like <laughs> it was okay. like we had it for like how many weeks just uh, sitting there staring at five, us talking six junk? weeks yeah. yeah mean old Tom anyone have you had Mean Old Tom? No. <clears throat> it's, uh, is that a Maine. reference to Thomas Jefferson? No. Yeah, mean Old Tom. That, that's actually that'd be a good, good thing to have. It's a, from Maine Beer Company. It's one of oh. the, the best beers I've ever had. Maine Beer Company is um, good. It, it is, uh, I think, $250 for a sixth, though. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah we, we, we actually, me and my business partner, we're like trying to think, figure out, like, we're only doing 10 ounce pours of it. And then, you like, I, I priced it out and I was like, oh, it would be um, $1,300 for one keg. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But I, I'm going to tell you, even it's a 10 so, ounce pour is generous. Yeah, it's so special, though. Yeah. Mean old Tom. Tom. Yeah, it's like, like a chocolate, yeah. chocolate coffee, like, ugh, stout yumminess. Yeah. I'm Fantastic. That's that's gonna that's at high hello now. High hello. Well, we're not officially open yet, but it will be. Yeah. Oh, no, you guys are out. officially open. No, well, Thursday. This we're is Sunday. Now. Oh yes, this is Sunday. We've been open. <laughs> we've, we've, actually, we've actually been open for four days. Happy <laughs> Easter, by the way. Yay. Yeah. Happy yeah. Easter, yeah. everyone. Easter. That's right. What what um what are, what are your hours? Are you are you open for lunch or uh, uh, just dinner or brunch or anything like that? Uh, dinner seven days and then brunch Saturday seven days at the moment. Yeah. What's your um, brunch menu looking like? What are you? Brunch, I, I, I have a lot of fun with brunch trying to do as much in-house as I can, in, in-house sausage, in-house bacon, in-house cold-smoked salmon, um, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, duck hash, you know, takes on some, some classics. Yeah. A lot of the food, both dinner and brunch, I, I, uh, the ideas behind it is just take a, an American classic that's, you know, so old and tired and a little dated and give it a fresh, uh, a fresh uh, facelift. So. Nice. The brunch is actually quite amazing. He's being very modest. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Especially the duck hash. <laughs> I, I like duck hash. It stays on all year round. Nice. The vegetables that go in change. <laughs> I like duck anything. Yeah. yeah. It's a duck-centric duck, uh, centric menu for sure. Um, so, But uh, we also take care in, in, in where we source things. And, and um, uh, we use a lot, of, a lot of regional stuff. But I also... So another challenge uh, at, at Chapter 1 is say, all right, well, you know, there's a lot of this uh, hyper-regional approach to food. Which, which is great, but, you know, it's like saying in France you can only go 25 miles outside of Paris, where in, in France they don't look down on you for using something down on the southern coast of France. You get to use all of France. So because I think it's this, the best. Is, because well, it's... Well, but, you know, we have, in the United States, we have more of a, a uh, as, as strong of a climatic range as any country. So between California and Florida and the Northeast, we have everything. So yeah. I have no qualms about using something from California or something from Florida because it's still American. And so I'm actually weeding out anything that's imported. So <coughs> the oils uh, come from California and, and no more Italian, no more prosciutto. We have amazing hams that come out of Virginia. Mm-hmm. So we are all, all American as much as we can we get. Now, I had on, on a, on a sad note. White asparagus. Yeah, white I asparagus. Look at his face. Like, we, I, I, I just <laughs> love white asparagus. I just have <laughs> always loved it throughout my career, and I just been talking to purveyors, and, and it turns out there really is very little, if any, white domestic asparagus. So it's all imported. So can you just talk to an asparagus farmer and have him cover sand? Or we're gonna we're gonna work on that, you know. Uh, but that, that's that we now for next year. In the meantime, I, I have to let go of white asparagus, and it's very sad. That's tragic. Yeah. It's really. They had it all lined up for the new chicken dish for the spring, and it's like, oh, never mind. No one makes it here. So. <laughs> until then, until you can get a good relationship with a farmer going, you yeah. know. Yeah. It's something. I mean, that, this is a topic we've talked about on the show a few times. Is just the idea of hyper localism versus regionalism. You know, in California, you can do that hyper localism. It's it's all available to you. On, you know, in the Northeast, it's it's just not. But regionally, yeah. you can get a lot of thing. You know, a lot of different produce. But ultimately, if, if you want to serve the best, you have to go to where, you know, that, um, as Patrick would say, tetoir, um, you know, the, the mind and the culture 
for raising these things are and, and, and source, source the best. Yeah, and it's also about like what type of farmer you support, not necessarily exactly where they are. You know, yeah. Are you supporting commodity farmers or are you supporting local guys that are really taking care of the soil and, and, and where, how they raise and their impact on the environment? So you know, I, if I can support a good, uh, a good farmer in California or a good farmer in Florida, I'm on board. You know, these guys are American and they're, and they're doing the right thing. So um, obviously we, we don't ever need to get corn that's not from the Northeast because there's plenty of it. So I'm not going to get corn from California in, in, in April if it's even there. But, you know, it's again, it's, it's a, the consciousness also expands beyond, you know, regionally and expands on, on what these guys are doing and how they're doing it. And if we can support that, then we're, we're also, you know, supporting the right, the right idea, you know. So. Supporting American farmers and American history, yay! All in one sitting. <laughs> I did have one 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 question. Um, uh, do you think Thomas Jefferson was cooking? Do you know? Do you know in your research did, was he was he just telling his cooks make me these peas? Yeah, he didn't. No, he didn't yeah. spend much time in the kitchen. His his wife Martha died very young, um, but uh, she she still even you know they had their 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 slave their right hand man or woman most of the time it was a woman. Um, in the kitchen, and they actually controlled the guard in the kitchen. Um, and his chef at the White House was French, right? Yeah, and he he uh, he, he sought after the strongest uh, sh- French chef he could find to install into the French, uh, excuse me, the president's house. So. Did you did you find any influences? I mean, just going back to the slave issue and, and Thomas Jefferson, did you find any influences from you know the the culture um, that that was brought you know and uh, in, in well, well, the, the slave? It's an excellent question. The this story in particular uh, pales in comparison to what the uh, 19th century New Orleans dinner uncovered. Yeah. Because there was an unbelievable uh, melting pot of, of cultural influences in New Orleans in the 1800s. And uh, the, the slaves that came from Haiti were different from the slaves that came from West Africa. Uh, and then you had uh, the migrants that came down the Mississippi, uh, the Acadians, um, that, that arrived very poor and established in the Bayou country. So... Uh, that story was, was was remarkable. I was overwhelmed with trying to piece together where things came from, and uh, and the, the, the ultimately the best the best example of that is Creole cooking. You had the the wealthy whites that employed the poor blacks, and what came out of Creole cuisine um, is a is a really uh, healthy mixture of the two. Yeah, okra. I wish yeah. I wish we could have connected on this earlier. We just got a. Um, I work for Heritage Foods, and we just brought in a bunch of lamb for spring, and we brought in Tunis lamb, which is actually one of Thomas Jefferson's uh, favorite, you know, favorite lamb oh, yeah, uh, breeds, yeah. and it's you know, what's a it called? Thing. Tuna lamb. Tunis. Tunis. Yeah. <laughs> and originally from well, originally from Tunisia, and it's a it's an interesting conversation is like well you know they were imported from tunisia and, and the founding fathers were really you know excited about them but how they got here is aboard slave ships oh you yeah. know it's it's yeah, just yeah. like a it's a darker history and and just import you know as far as the imports go and yeah. migration of, of peoples their culture and yeah the livestock and, and it was, a lot of it was forced you know so the best we can do now because that happened a long time ago is just to to, to celebrate the, the what came out of that yeah, um, and uh, do it some justice. So. And acknowledge and not ignore, which it sounds like you guys are. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely yeah. being forthcoming. Yeah, it's it's, it's important to know your history and, and your roots, and, and and learn from them. You know, I think that that applies to everybody in the kitchen or whatever else you do. It applies to everybody. So. 
Well, it's exciting. Um, for anyone listening, if you're interested in, in trying it out, uh, the Thomas Jefferson dinner is going to be April 12th at Chapter 1. Um, they can find more information, you know. Google is a website, yeah. great yeah, <laughs> resource. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's at 33 Greenwich Avenue. Yeah. The website, uh, chapter1.nyc, um, and it's all there. Great. So anyone that's interested, stop in. Um, thank you guys so much, uh, Warren and Katie. It was really great yeah. having you on today. Likewise. Um, happy Easter to everyone happy tuning happy in. Happy Easter. Yeah. Are we going to go do an Easter egg hunt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the weather's uh, good for today. Yeah, nice and sunny. Okay. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 